This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, y'all, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, and today we're going to share a special bonus episode from another NPR show, Pop Culture Happy Hour. So I was on Pop Culture Happy Hour recently to discuss a show I was watching on Netflix. Y'all know I love watching stuff on Netflix, and y'all also know that I love talking about what I watch on Netflix. This show that I was on Pop Culture Happy Hour to discuss, it is called Lupin, or Lupin, however you pronounce it. It's spelled L-U-P-I-N. It is a French heist-slash-mystery-slash-revenge thriller, A caper that is very fun and at some point a little absurd, but I like it. And this show also surprised me in that it engaged with race and class in some pretty interesting ways. Anywho, I had so much fun talking about this show with the co-hosts of Pop Culture Happy Hour, my friends and colleagues Aisha Harris and Glenn Weldon. And also in this chat was culture writer Badatri D. Chattery. All right, let's get to it. Here's the four of us on Lupin. 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 Enjoy. Lupin, or if you want to get technical, Lupin, is a smart and twisty French series that's new to Netflix. It's about a young Parisian man named Hassan who molds his life on classic French tales about a fictional gentleman thief and master of disguise named Arsène Lupin. There's more to it, of course. Hassan is the son of a Senegalese immigrant who died after being accused of a crime. We soon learn that what's really driving Hassan's intricately plotted criminal adventures is a desire for revenge. I'm Aisha Harris. And I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Lupin on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. <laughs> Here with me in Aisha is Sam Sanders, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute. Hey, Sam, ça va? Oui, oui. I, I don't know. I'm trying. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> bon. Also joining us from our home in New York is film critic and culture journalist Badatri Di Chaudhry. Ça va, Badatri? Ça va bien, merci. Enchanté. I hope I did that right. <laughs> We're all winging it here. Wow. Way better than me. <laughs> yeah, I'm working off of four years of American public high school education. All right. In Lupin, Omar C. plays Hassan, who's seeking revenge against several people whom he believes conspire to falsely accuse his father of stealing a necklace 25 years ago, a necklace that once belonged to Marie Antoinette. He's got a best friend, played by Antoine Gouy, an ex-wife played by Ludovine Saunier, a teenage son played by Etienne Simon, and he's going up against the wealthy Pellegrini family led by the monstrous Hubert, who is played with, I gotta say, a lot of French mustard, uh, really layering on the Dijon, <laughs> by Hervé Pierre. And if you can find me a more French name than Hervé Pierre, I will mange ma chapeau. He also tangles with various detectives, one of whom, played by Soufiane Garab, begins to suspect that Hassan's crimes are inspired by the stories of Lupin. Layered over all of this is the fact that Hassan is a black man, the son of an immigrant, something the series uses to address... Lightly, it seems to me, but we can talk about that. Issues of race and class in modern France. Something folks should know from the jump is that the series we're talking about today is only five one-hour episodes long. And that's even stretching it because most episodes come in around 45, 47 minutes. The other thing to know is that that first season ends on a cliffhanger. 
Now, Netflix has announced that part two of Lupin, Lupin, will be released in summer 2021. Sam Sanders, let me start with you. <laughs> Lupin, oui ou non? Ah, uh, oui. So I've basically reached this point in pandemic where if Netflix tells me enough to watch anything, I'll watch it. And so I kept seeing Omar C's beautiful smiling face saying, watch this show, watch this show. And I did. And I liked it, which surprised me. I think that, like, as soon as this show starts, you realize the plot in every single way is absurd. Like, none of this could ever happen. It's so implausible. And then, I'm not sure how it happened, but there are two ways to watch this show if you're here in the States. You can watch it in French with the subtitles, or you can watch it overdubbed with horrible cartoonish English. I got the English overdub version, which made me even love it more because, like, half of the joy of watching the show was seeing where this absurd plot would go. And the other half was just making fun of these people and their awfully English overdubs. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think the show is wonderfully nonsensical, but it's delivered without any irony. Like, they're kind of playing it serious, which is cute. But <laughs> I was thinking about what I enjoy perhaps most about the show, and it's got to be Omar C. He is so charismatic, photogenic, fun to watch, and watching a big, tall, handsome black man be MacGyver slash Inspector Gadget slash the Pink Panther is a thing I don't really see a lot, so I love that. It's like I've realized the past several years I've been watching storylines in the news where black men are anonymous in the wrong ways. We are faceless statistics and death tolls and stereotypes. And this show, Lupin, Lupin, it lets a black man be anonymous in all the fun ways. It was just delightful for me. So, yeah, uh, thumbs up. Yes, and I agree. This, this series does really touch the third rail of culture. It does touch race and class in an interesting way by talking about the anonymity of black men, or at least the perceived anonymity of them. And when you talked about the fact that it is really, really contrived and and Unbelievable. I mean, I was reminded of the words of our greatest American philosopher, John Hannibal Smith, of that contemporary Algonquin roundtable known as the A-Team, who said, I love it when a plan comes together. That's what this is. That's why we love heist movies. All yes. the planning, the contingency planning, the fact that the thing that defines Arsène Lupin originally is even when he loses, he wins. Yeah. We just love seeing people being outfoxed. Aisha, what'd you think? It is a we from me as well. I <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much I needed something like this at this moment. I love a good heist movie. I love a good action thriller where there's lots of disguises. And it's not really something I've indulged in too much over the pandemic. So I was actually like, oh, man, I need to get back into this. And now I want to watch a lot more foreign heist, thriller, action shows and, and movies. But it did take me a little while at first. I'd say the first episode for me, it felt like there were just a lot of cliches about heists. And, you know, there's the plan. And it happens really quickly. Like within the first 10 minutes, there's not really much of a buildup. It's just like, okay, we're doing this heist. Right. And then the way it unfolds, I thought was really, really interesting. And once I realized that like the heist was the first episode, but the rest of it is more disguise and sneaking in and out of like apartments and tricking the police and doing all of these nefarious things, but for the vengeance of his father. I thought it was really, really interesting the way they did that. And to sort of build on this idea of him being able to, this black man being able to 
play disguise in these ways. I think what's really interesting is that with the exception of one scene, he's not doing anything drastic to his appearance. He's over six feet tall. He's very distinctive. Uh And yet... And he's beautiful, like gorgeous. And he's beautiful. (laughs) He's also beautiful. And he's like very built. Like there's no way, like he would stand out in most places like no matter where where he is yeah i would definitely remember him if i met him once. <laughs> exactly same, same same but somehow he, he's able to at one point you know switch places with a prisoner who is way shorter than him it's like five shades lighter than him and no one notices and i think using that as a device is really interesting now one thing i did notice while watching it was the fact that you know we get a lot of flashbacks to that kind of piece together why he's doing Doing what he is now to when he was a kid and what happened to his father. And I believe we're told early on that his mother, his father's been widowed, so his mother passed away. So there's no black woman figure there. There's also no black woman anywhere mm. else in the show. And, yeah. you know, we see uh. his relationship with his best friend from elementary school, middle school, who is Benjamin Farrell, played by Antoine Gui. I think I pronounced that correctly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then also his ex-wife, who he now has a child with, Claire, who he also met when they were kids. And you see he has all these connections to white people, but there's no black women anywhere. And I, I found that interesting, not even like in the police team. So I kind of hope when the second half drops that they do explore that more, because I do think there is something interesting for someone who was young and a, basically, you know, once he was orphaned, adopted, or not adopted, but basically he had a benefactor and what it's like to grow up in that world and not have any black women in it. I would have liked to see mm-hmm. that sort of explored. Sure. But overall, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm not sure the flashbacks worked especially for me. I, I just was less interested in in the flashbacks than what was going on in the contemporary things. What about you, Badatri? What I really liked about like the most about the series is uh, the pacing. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it, it begins with a car crashing into the Louvre. How do you like top that up? <laughs> and yet they do. <laughs> and yet they do. And and which is what I really liked. You know, I, I was a little apprehensive that it, it's going to be a damp squib after that. I mean, because right. what happens after that? But, you know, what I really like about it is that it's not the kind of crime thriller or heist uh, series which gives you anxiety, which is like, oh, my God, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I have to see what happens. It's not that intense, but it still manages to like keep that little carrot dangling so that you keep coming back for the next uh, episode. And, yeah, I mean, I agree with Aisha. Like, you know, uh, A, there are no black women, which I would have loved to see more of and his interaction with them. But also the women that there are in the series, they just speak so little and they just like occupy such little space. And Mm. it's all with respect to Asan as a central character and all their relationships are kind of like defined by him. So, yeah, I would have loved to see more of the women talk and, you know, occupy narrative space in general. And also because like the women seem to be the only uniformly non-racist characters Mm. in the series. Interesting. You know, it might be an issue of overcorrecting on their part because he's not Bond, right? He's he's not depicted in the series as guzzling martinis or betting ingenues. He doesn't have a license to kill. There's very little blood in this series, actually. He does have, what surprised me, a very close, surprisingly tender male friendship. We see him again and again struggling to overcome his intimacy issues with his ex-wife and his son. And most fascinating to me was he becomes close friends with an older woman whose work he admires. That is Fabienne, played by Anne Benoit. 
And they take pains to show because you first think, oh, he's using her to get something that he needs. But he is sincerely in awe of her. And even when he does something particularly unlikable, like there's this one moment where he robs an old lady, it's made clear that her wealth was plundered from Africa in the beginning. Uh, So you kind of give it a pass. (laughs) When the show was firing on all cylinders, I was reminded of that first series of Sherlock where I was just like, Uh... where has this been all my life, you know? And as Sam said... None of these stories work unless everything goes off like clockwork, which is not how life works. It requires this immense suspension of disbelief where characters make choices that the series wants you to think are inevitable, but of course there aren't. There's just a lot of contrivance here. So there is a tremendous satisfaction, as you're right, Padachi, in watching all these dominoes fall. But the thing that the series does well is it will show you that all those dominoes you watch being set up are not the only dominoes. There's this other whole room full of dominoes that we're going to mm. tell you about like 35 minutes in. Yeah. Again... It's a contemporary take, which means he can't just be a master criminal who is always six steps ahead of everybody because the thinking there is, oh, it'll get boring. I'm here to tell you it wouldn't. I would watch it for days because I just love that. But they humanize him. They want to give him something to care about, something to uh, be invested in. So we get the ex-wife and the son. And as the series goes on, he starts making mistakes, small ones first and then big ones. And it makes a, he makes a huge one in an episode involving a kidnapping that I just got angry at because it just seemed way out of character, not something he would do. But I did find myself checking my phone during those family scenes. Um, <laughs> what do you guys think? Yeah, I do think that that was one of the cliches that I could have done without. You know, the vengeance of his own father is to me enough steam and enough for him to work off of. Like, I don't necessarily need him to be, you know, struggling to connect with his son. But I also think the way it wraps up towards the end of the first half without giving too much away, like, it does make me, you know, wonder, okay, maybe this could be interesting going forward, their relationship. But yeah, the flashbacks also didn't really work too much for me. But that's also a problem that I've had with a lot of shows that I Mm -hmm. really, really love. Mm -hmm. I think the flashback um, has become sort of a crutch in some ways. I also had an yeah. issue with it to some extent in I May Destroy You. Sure. I think it sometimes it just felt like it was trying too hard to create all these parallels. And I don't always need tons and tons of backstory like that. Like, give me a scene or two, but I don't need this like running thread that parallels the the yeah. show. It just feels a little bit lazy to me. And I think we still get so much out of Omar C. Like, again, I, I can't say enough about how great he is because – He is just able to, even in the way he's able to shift his body, which again is why in some ways he's, he's so good at disguise is like, sometimes all it takes (laughs) is for him to put on a pair of glasses and like sort of sway his body (laughs) in a way to make himself look like he sometimes shrinks his large frame to make himself seem a little bit Mm -hmm. more like demurred and nerdy or awkward. And I love that. And those are the things that I love. And I think add the character in a way that the flashbacks and like the family scenes don't for me. And also, like, his gait and agility is, it's like, you know, we don't see black men getting that kind of... Um, freedom of movement, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, freedom of movement, even grace, you know, I'll call it grace. Like, you know, yeah. when he is, like, sliding down the roofs and stuff, it's beautiful. You, It feels like ballet sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I kind of have a larger question after watching this show with the English overdub and the French with subtitles. It makes me wonder what this reveals about, you know, Netflix's ongoing grand strategy for, like, global domination. It seems as if they might have made, like, an international blockbuster of sorts that comes from France. And that seems like a big deal. 
What do we think this show and its success reveals about what Netflix wants to make going forward? Uh, I think they want to make, what is the word, money. (laughs) (laughs) I think they just want to be, uh, as you say, global domination. And uh, when there is so much intellectual property out there and we're willing to uh, do what Bong Joon-ho asked us to do was to, you know, just suck it up already and and watch Watch things with subtitles. Yeah. I definitely think that, I mean, I'm not sure of what Netflix's plans are, but I think what it's doing is it's changing the kind of TV Americans like to watch and want to watch and have been watching. There has always been a kind of a pushback against quote unquote foreign content. And uh, I think it's nice to see that opening up people becoming more open to um, stuff that is not in English. But also, I think, you know, going back to the fact that, you know, this is a heist movie, this is a crime thriller, this is a comedy, this is a family drama. I think um, global producers are also trying to put in something for everyone so that, you know, it becomes the final product as something that appeals a little bit to everyone. So I think that's an interesting way of like kind of merging genres. And mm-hmm. um, I guess Netflix has been doing that for a while. So that's interesting how that's evolving. It's already on track to be the most watched miniseries on Netflix. It's already, I think, taken over um, Queen's Gambit, which is remarkable. And it's a good thing that it happens to be a good show. Tell us what you think about Lupin. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. When we come back, it would be time to talk about what is making us happy this week. So come right back. <laughs> You're very good at that, Glenn. I, I hope our French listeners don't hate us. <laughs> oh, they're going to no, hate no, 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 no. Hate me, Aisha. <laughs> they would just hate me. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place. Your pocket. Download the NPR app today. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. The news is about more than what just happened. You need to know why it happened, who made it happen, how it's felt in the communities you care about. NPR's daily news podcast, Consider This, gives you all of that with context, backstory and analysis on a single topic every weekday. It's not just information. It's what the news means. Consider this from NPR. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What's making us happy this week? Aisha, what is making you happy this week? Well, every once in a while, you don't know what to watch, and you decide to take a chance on something you might not have heard of and hope for the best. And recently that happened to me. I was trying to figure out what to watch with my partner, and he found this movie that I somehow had never heard of that was released on VOD last summer, I believe. And it's called Tijuana Jackson, Purpose Over Prison. It was written and directed by Romney Malcolm, who you might know from 40-Year-Old Virgin, Think Like a Man, who I remember from Too Legit, the MC Hammer story, a VH1 <laughs> movie from like yeah. 20 years ago. And this is his directorial debut. It's a mockumentary-style film. And it's based off of a character named Tijuana Jackson, who Romney Malco has been, you know, working and creating over the past, like, decade or so in YouTube series shorts. And the character is an inmate who comes out of prison and is followed around by this college student who is making a documentary short. And he is 
very overconfident and is determined to become a very famous motivational speaker. It is very lowbrow, vulgar humor. So it's not something to watch with your kids. (laughs) But I really enjoyed it. I was surprised by how smart it is. He is very, very good at depicting this super just like unself-aware character who has all this positivity despite all the really bad things that are happening in his life. Regina Hall is also fantastic playing her. Then I'm in. Yes. (laughs) She plays. (laughs) If that didn't work. uh, Yes. Regina Hall is in it. She plays his parole officer and also like his childhood best friend who they might have like a little thing with each other. There are some, you know, prison sex jokes that are a little dated. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, are we still making these? But overall, I think it's really smart and it's a sharp critique of the prison industrial complex Mm. in a way that I haven't seen before. It takes things in a direction that you won't expect. And I I laughed throughout pretty much the whole thing. So I highly recommend watching it. It's Tijuana Jackson, Purpose Over Prison, and you can rent it uh, on VOD. Thank you, Aisha. That sounds fantastic. Sam Sanders, what's making you happy this week? Yeah. So I had a long drive this past weekend, which meant that I was frantically searching for new podcasts to listen to while driving. And I found a good one. I've devoured a few episodes of this new podcast from WBUR called Anything for Selena. This is yet another piece of content about the... Latin megastar who was killed way too soon, Selena. I knew her as a South Texan growing up. She was larger than life, and her death, I can still flash back to that day and how heavily it seems like everyone I knew took it. And the myth of Selena in popular culture is very complicated. She has been this enduring figure, almost like Aaliyah after she passed away. But over time, Selena and what she represents has kind of been flattened and reduced to like this Latina Barbie. And you kind of even saw notes of that in the latest Netflix show about her life. But this podcast, which is hosted by Maria Garcia, the journalist, it brings so much more nuance to who Selena is and what she means. And this one works because it is equal parts memoir and like biography of Selena. So all throughout the podcast, you see Maria comparing her life to Selena's, talking about how Selena being exactly who she was allowed Maria to be who she is. And there's this wonderful interlude in the episode where she interviews Selena's father, where she talks candidly about what her life was like growing up with her dad, an immigrant. And it was this deeply poignant, layered, delicate bit of a podcast that surprised me. And I don't think I've heard a podcast like it in some time. And it made me rethink a figure in the culture that I already think I know a lot about, Selena, and see her in some new fresh ways. So I highly recommend it. It is called Anything for Selena. Thank you, Sam. That sounds great. Badatri, what is making you happy this week? This week, like every other week, Cake is making me happy. Sugar is making me happy. I love to bake. I have friends who bake and all of us have been very proactive um, with it in the new year. I'm a huge fan of the chef um, Sola Elveli, who uh, is not a condescending cook. She doesn't use these big, weird French words nobody can pronounce. But like she has this encyclopedic knowledge and she is like this perfect teacher who sits you down, teaches you the science of it very simply and patiently and then like totally cheers you on with so much love as you go on to make your own bakes. 
It's beautiful. So she has a show uh, called Off Script with Sola, and she decided to make an episode uh, dedicated to making a basic pound cake and then flying with it and experimenting with flavors. I mean, she says a snickerdoodle loaf cake with a cinnamon sugar icing and a cinnamon sugar swirl (laughs) is possible. So I knew that's literally my recipe to happiness. TLDR, watch the video even if you're not a baker because Sola is awesome. The title of the show is Off Script with Sola. Thank you, Badatra. You know, I love that happy because it is on brand. The last time you were here, uh, you were on for the Great British Baking Show, and that is staying ruthlessly on brand, and I admire the hell out of it. And speaking of staying ruthlessly on brand, what's making me happy this week is Rachel Bloom of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend fame. She's got a new book, came out in November of last year. It's a memoir called I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are. And, you know, she's a young woman, so it focuses on her childhood, being bullied, dealing with OCD, discovering musical theater as a savior, and working her way up in New York and L.A. in their comedy scenes and uh, getting her own TV show. It's funny. It's very candid. It's very her. And I know what y'all are thinking. Okay, yes, Glenn, but how does this memoir compare to, say, The Diary of Samuel Pepys or uh, or Boswell's Life of Johnson? And I'll just say, uh, more poop. For one thing, there's a lot in here about pooping and sex, so be advised. Talk about on brand. (laughs) Totally on brand. Now, you could just read the book yourself like a chump, but why would you? Because Bloom reads the audiobook herself, and she reads with this kind of really open expressiveness. She's got great comic timing. Plus, not for nothing, there's a little mini musical in the middle of it that is fully scored. And so, you know, just get the audiobook. I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are by Rachel Bloom. And that is what is making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations exclusive to our newsletter, subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash popculturenewsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find me at G.H. Weldon. You can follow Aisha at Crafting My Style. You can follow Sam at Sam Sanders. And you can follow Badatri at Badatri. You can follow editor Jessica Reedy at Jessica underscore Reedy and producer Candice Lim at The Candice Lim. You can follow producer Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif. That's K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, Hello Come In, provides the music. You may or may not be bobbing your head to right now. I don't know your life. Thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Merci beaucoup. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Jinx, Sam. (laughs) Totally jinxed. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. We'll see you all next week. All right, thanks again to my friends over at Pop Culture Happy Hour. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to Pop Culture Happy Hour wherever you get your podcast. They talk about TV and movies and music that you should be checking out all the time, every week, every day. All right, come back to this podcast feed tomorrow. We'll have another episode of It's Been a Minute ready for you. Till then, take care of yourselves. Be nice. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon. Hey, it's Aisha Roscoe from NPR's Up First podcast. I'm one of thousands of NPR Network voices coming to you from over 200 local newsrooms across the country. We bring all Americans closer together through free and independent journalism, music, politics, culture, and so much more. The NPR Network. What you hear changes everything. Learn more at npr.org network.
What's happening on NPR Podcasts? More neighborhoods and more perspectives. The more of the world that you hear, the more you hear the world as it really is. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Big news stories don't always break on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture, and podcasts are ready when you want them. In your pocket. Download the NPR app today.